0: Find your way to Matthew 18. We are going verse by verse through the Bible. And the beauty of that is, is you get a balanced diet. Instead of just having your favorite dessert all the time, you get the whole Word of God. We get the whole Word of God, and that builds lives in in strong ways. Uh, And uh, so here we're going through the book of Matthew in chapter 18, and here's our subject on the table. The title of this morning's message is, Exhibiting Unbridled Forgiveness. Unbridled forgiveness. Don't you love forgiving people? Do you? Yes. I love forgiving people. They are great to be around. And here's the really cool thing our Father has called us to be sons and daughters. That's what we've been studying. That's what we've been looking at. That we are the children of God. Jesus has been teaching his disciples that they are the sons of God. And for the last few chapters, he's been bringing this point home. And it's an amazing reality to ponder and to try to get our head around. That we would be the sons and daughters of God. Isn't it amazing? The psalmist said, When I consider the sun, the moon, the stars that you have ordained, what is man that you would be mindful of him? Who are we that you would be thinking of us, that your thoughts would be upon us all the time? That we would be called your sons, your daughters, through the grace of Jesus Christ. And it's amazing to ponder. Man-made religions would never dream of such a thing. Man would see God as this lawgiver, as this divine judge, uh, as an impersonal force, as the karma that just makes sure justice gets done, but not as a father and us not as a son, not as a daughter. That is something Jesus taught. Man would see, man would come, man would make a religion that says, you have to find your way to God, you have to earn his approval, and Jesus would say just the opposite, no, 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 no. I am your father, I created you, you were lost, you were orphaned, you were abandoned by sin and I came and found you, I am your father, you were lost in sin and I came looking for you, I found you, I forgave you, I adopted you as my own and now you are the sons of God. And over and over, Jesus has been teaching this, and yet it's hard for us to wrap our minds around. Jesus would even say, when you pray, pray like this, what? Our Father that art in heaven, so holy is your name. And he would... Teach the disciples, and for the last couple chapters, he's really been focusing on this. And he says, hey, listen, I have shown you unbridled forgiveness. You are my sons, you are my daughters, I adopt you as my own. You didn't come looking for me, I came looking for you. Hey, if you're here this morning, I want you to know something. You're here because God has calling you to himself. I met a new family this morning, first service, and they said, I said, well, how did you hear about it? So we were driving by, and every time I would drive by, I'd look at that church, and I just had this feeling inside me like, I need to go there, I need to go there, and I would drive by, and I drove by for months, and I kept thinking, I need to go there, I need to go there, and I finally came in a few weeks ago, and I'm never leaving, (laughs) and you know what that is? That's God calling you we're not seeking God, God is seeking us, Jesus says you didn't choose me, I chose you, I've called you myself and I've lavished on you unbridled forgiveness and you're my sons and you're my daughters and he tells the parable of the lost sheep, we'll pick it up here, right where we left off last week, we looked at this last week but just to set the stage, uh, he's talking about the, the you're, you're my sons you're my daughters and he brings a child into his lap and he says this is how you come into the kingdom, this is how you're great in the kingdom, that you just have this dependence on me, this trust in me, like a like a father and a son, and that 's the imagery he 's using and now verse ten he says Uh, now take heed that you despise not one of these little ones these little ones of mine he's not talking about the child in his lap he's talking about those who come to him with childlike uh, dependence upon God Uh, he says see that you despise not one of these little ones for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven oh my gosh how incredible amazing love, amazing privilege here's what he's saying you're now my son sons, and the whole kingdom is yours. You live in the kingdom. You're a member of the family. You're part of the kingdom. And even the angels now are watching in and reporting to me and keeping their eye on you. You're under my protection. You're under my care. How amazing to know that everything that comes to our life as believers in Jesus Christ is father filtered by his hand. His hand is upon us. Just incredible privilege Verse 11, for the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. That's us. And he says, What do you think? If a man had a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety and nine? And look at this, underline this, we talked about it last week, and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? What a shepherd! He would leave everything, and he would climb the highest mountains. Man teaches that you have to climb mountains to reach God. And God says, no, 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 just the opposite. Your God climbs mountains to reach you. Wow. Wow. And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he, that's the shepherd, rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine who did not go astray. Even so, it is the will of what? Say the words with me. It is the will of your Father, your Father, who is in heaven, that one of these little ones Should perish. It is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Just amazing teaching that He gives us. Uh, Jesus' love for us is amazing. Jesus loves to give us unbridled forgiveness and restoration. And He tells a parable. A parable is a earthly story that reveals truths about God, truths about his kingdom, truths about heaven. He tells us an earthly story like this, the parable of the last sheep, to show his unbridled forgiveness on those who are going astray and those who are wandering off. If you're here this morning and you haven't come in to sonship and daughtership through the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, you are missing out. And you want to give your life to him. You want to say, Jesus, please forgive me. I believe you have that kind of love for me. And he will welcome you into his family. And we will welcome you into the family. And the kingdom is yours. This parable reveals God's amazing pursuing love, a God who climbs mountains to, re, to find us, to restore us, and to bring us back from our wayward, straggling ways to bring us to himself because he's not willing that one should perish. That's amazing love. And we receive his unbridled forgiveness and restoration. His mercies are new morning by morning and day by day. Today you woke up and Jesus was already forgiving you. Uh, Just amazing to be a child uh, of God. And now he's going to teach us that as sons, he wants us to show others the same unbridled forgiveness that he shows us. That we would look like dad, if you will. And that just as he is a shepherd that goes into the mountains to restore those who have fallen away, that we would show the same kind of forgiveness, the unbridled forgiveness that he shows us. That we would show it to others. And that's what he says here. Look what he, he says, verse 15. He says, moreover... Or on top of all this, in other words, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you have gained your brother. Uh, interesting to see what the Lord is now moving us into as sons, as daughters of what he wants us to do. He wants us to be forgiving. Uh, Here's the truth of it. In the world, people wrong us all the time. How many of you have been wronged in a big way? Yeah, all of us, right? I remember one time I came home from church. I was teaching at Maranatha Chapel under Pastor Ray Bentley. At a, a, a I used to uh, go there. I was uh, teaching in the adult Sunday school, um, adult classes that they had. And I drive home from church. Uh, I oversaw their small group ministry and and taught there. And and I drove home on a Sunday. And I come uh, in, pull into the driveway, and. As as I pull into the driveway, I see my beautiful golden retriever lying on the front yard, stiff as a board, and having convulsions. And this dog was amazing. I mean, this dog knew English. I mean, uh, it was so smart. Uh, She used to ride jet skis with me and ride motorcycles with me, and she just absolutely loved it, right? Just out of command, could just... And I see her in the front yard, stiff as a board and having convulsions. And I come over and I said, her tongue is about swollen like this. And I'm like, what the heck? And my next door neighbor comes running out and says, oh, I'm so sorry. We put rat poison out in the front yard last night in cheese. And I think your dog got it. And so I swoop the dog up. I rush immediately to the vet. I rush into the vet, and I'm not there 15 seconds, and the dog passes. And I come home to a neighbor in tears, and what can I do? What can I say? And the neighbor says, Can we buy a new dog? And I said, No, you can't buy a new dog. But it's okay, you're forgiven no problem. I understand. And here's what happens. We live in a world where we're wronged, where people hurt us, where people break our hearts. And it happens with neighbors. It happens with friends. It happens with family. It happens with our own spouses. And here's what Jesus is teaching us. I want the same unbridled forgiveness that flows so freely into your life from me to you to also flow from your life into others. It's important. We are human. We are clumsy. We are selfish. We are sinful. And we hurt people and people hurt us. And unbridled forgiveness will be a powerful tool in our life if we will embrace it. It will allow us, it will enable us to have healthy relationships with others, to build up others, to edify others, but it's not that easy to do, is it? Sometimes it's very difficult. It's easy to talk about forgiveness, but actually forgiving is a lot different. I love what C.S. Lewis says about it. C.S. Lewis in the book Mere Christianity. Uh, by the way, if you haven't read Mere Christianity, it's a must read. It's an amazing book. Uh, one of my favorites. But here's what C.S. Lewis says. Let me hear you read this together as a thundering voice. Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. Isn't that true? I love the idea of receiving forgiveness, but the idea of actually giving it, well, that's a different story. After what they did to me, are you kidding? And here Jesus says, no, 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 I want to use your life. And in one sentence here, in verse 15, Jesus gives us in one sentence, he gives us three wise instructions for loving and forgiving an offender. And notice what he says. Let's see if we can find them as we read See if you can find those three. I'm going to read it one more time. See if you can find the three wise instructions he gives us. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. What is it? Alone. And if he hears you, you have gained a brother. Here's the first thing that he says. When you are offended, don't blab it to others. Don't blab it to others. Take it to your offender alone. What are we prone to do when someone wrongs us? The first thing we're prone to do is just go and tell everybody we know about how this person messed us up. And Jesus says, don't do that. First mistake. When someone hurts us or wrongs us, instead of going to the person who wronged us, we tell everyone. We tell our friends, we tell our church members, we text it out, we put it on social media, we just make sure everybody knows. And in doing so, oftentimes it becomes more damaging than the offense itself. And Jesus says, hey, here's the first step of wisdom. Don't blab it to others. Instead, go to your offender alone. I want you to circle the word alone. Alone. Go to the person directly. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. Uh, Here's a verse for you on your screens that is uh, just insightful, kind of a parallel passage. Proverbs 16, um, verse 27 and 28. Let me hear you read this, church, a thundering voice. An ungodly man digs up evil, and it is on his lips like a burning fire. A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends." Yeah, you can go around saying, hey, you can't believe it. Let me tell you what they did to me. Can you believe? And I know. What do you think they were thinking? And you know, they're always doing that. And as you're telling everybody else, do you know what's happening in your own heart? The offense is getting what? Bigger. Bigger. It's just getting bigger. And we are the ones deceiving ourselves. As we start telling everybody else, we are now justifying our position and their offense just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and jesus says don't do it don't do it don't blab it Don't blab it. Instead, go to your offender alone. Here's another passage, Proverbs 17. Uh, uh, I put it in two translations for you so we can get a full flavor. Uh, But Let's read the New King James Version first. Let's read it together. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. That was one of the first Bible verses I learned as a Christian 30 years ago, Uh, and it's a great passage maybe to memorize. He who covers a transgression, a transgression is sin. He who covers a sin seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates friends, damages relationships. Here's how the New Living Translation, which isn't really a translation, by the way, it's more of a paraphrase. Here's how it paraphrases that verse. Let me hear you read that one. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven. And guess what Jesus wants us to have? Prospering love in our life. Jesus says, don't blab it. Love covers a multitude of sin. And don't go tell everybody else. Instead, go to the person directly. And here's the second thing he tells us when we're offended. When we're offended, not only don't blab it, But look what he says, pursue reconciliation. Do you see it there? Look what he says, verse 15, one more time. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, what's the verb? Go, go, go and tell it to him. Go, or in other words, pursue reconciliation. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, if there's a problem, if someone offends you, it's your responsibility, excuse me, to make it right. Go and talk to them. Go and and get it right. It's so interesting, isn't it? When our flesh is hurt... When our feelings get hurt. When someone wrongs us. How does our flesh like to respond? We like to say, Well, I'm not going to go to them until they first, what? Apologize. Apologize. I'm not going to go to them until they first apologize. And you know what I've seen? I've seen friends... I've seen family, I've seen even brothers and sisters in a family not talk for two days, for two weeks, for two months, for two years, for two decades because of an offense that happened and they never talked about it. Oh, my gosh. And Jesus says, no, 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 go. Pursue reconciliation. Uh, Don't say, oh, they need to apologize to me. No, 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 no. You be the one who goes and initiates. You be like your father who climbs the mountains to find the one who was lost. And how awesome it is to see what Jesus is doing and building in us. He wants us to emulate him. He wants us to uh, uh, imitate him. And he wants us to look like him. It's what he is building in us. It's interesting, isn't it, that uh, uh, we see this working out, this, uh, you know, they need to apologize first. We even see it in marriage at times, don't we? Something happens, and uh, suddenly, what do we call it? It's called the silent treatment, right? Uh, poor guy doesn't even know what he does, did wrong, and uh, yet he offended, there's something wrong, and something's there's a rub, and, and it's now the silent treatment. And he kind of senses, you know, like, hey, something's not right, and he's like, honey, is everything okay? fine. No, no, no. It's not fine. It's not fine. Uh, Honey, what's wrong? Nothing. And it's the silent treatment. And next thing you know, the silent treatment goes from an hour to a day and to a day to a couple. And now there's no conversation. And it's weird. And now there's no dinner on the table. And now you go to bed and it's like the sheets get pulled over and it's. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on, hang on. Jesus says, go to your offender. Go to your offender and talk to him alone. Number one, don't blab it. Number two, pursue reconciliation. This is his will. This is his way. This is his instruction. And it is wise. By the way, uh, sex is not a weapon. Sex is a gift from God. It was never meant to be used as a weapon. I remember when the kid, my kids were little, I have four kids, when the kids were little, you'd give them Christmas presents, and next thing you know, they're hitting their brother with it. You're like, wait, 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 wait. I didn't give you that gift to beat your brother with it. I gave you that gift to play with and to have fun with. And, and I imagine how God kind of looks at us when we use some of the gifts he gives us, like, whoa, 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 not what I had in mind, right? And uh, it's a powerful gift from God, and uh, it's not meant to be used as a weapon. And so we're to pursue reconciliation. So, number one, don't blab it to others. Number two, pursue reconciliation. And number three, look what he says confront with the right motive. Look what he says here. uh, Pursue your brother, right? Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, what does he say? You have what? Gained your brother. What's that? Yeah, the whole purpose of the confrontation is to gain your brother. To build the relationship. To pour in to each other and to strengthen the bond between you. And uh, that can happen when forgiveness is flowing freely. A boss and an employee can have an even stronger relationship when forgiveness flows freely. Two neighbors can have even a better relationship after a dog dies if forgiveness flows freely. A husband and wife can have even greater intimacy if someone makes a mistake and forgiveness flows freely. But we have to go, we have to confront with the right motive. The right motive is reconciliation. And a common mistake when we are hurt or when we are wronged is instead of going with the motive to reconcile, we go with the motive to to be right, to win, to prove that the other one messed up and blew it. To elevate ourself over their failure? To use the failure of our loved one to our own advantage? That would never happen, would it? We are so prideful. We are so insecure. That a lot of times we want to win the argument instead of restore the relationship. And that's the wrong motive to bring. We are so prideful. We are so insecure that we don't really want to forgive our offender, not if we can use their air to make ourselves look better. We are so prideful, we are so selfish that we don't even do that consciously. It's just our nature. And the Bible calls it a sin nature. And Jesus says, I want you to look different than everyone else. I want you to be different than everyone else. Number one, I don't want you to blab it. Number two, I want you to pursue reconciliation. And when you do, and when you do confront, I want to make sure it's with the right motive. Not to win the argument. Not to prove that you're better than them. Not to prove that you were right and they were wrong. But to actually seek reconciliation. Oh, I wonder how many spouses have won the argument but damage their mate's spirit in the process. And you know what I've seen, and you know what I know? That repeated offenses leave scars. And repeated offenses build walls. And repeated offenses, yeah, you might win the argument, you might feel good about winning the argument, but here's what happens. One day you look at your marriage and you go, it's loveless. It's lost its intimacy. It doesn't look at all like what God designed marriage to be. We're both in the same house. We're both doing our roles, but it's like tasks. It's like job descriptions. It's not at all one flesh. It's not at all what God designed. How did we get here? Well, we got here by going through uh, these confrontations without coming to them with the right motive of gaining a brother. I wonder uh, how many men are longing to be respected by their wives, by their children, but they simply aren't. And the reason they aren't is because they've had to be right over and over and over again. Again. And they're confronting not to restore and build the other, but to win and to be right. And it doesn't work. It's not effective. And in the end, uh, it doesn't give us what we're looking for. In, uh, in this passage, Jesus makes it really clear that the goal of confronting is to gain our brother, to strengthen the relationship, to build up and not to tear down, to forgive, to seek, and to restore, to go after the one who's wandered away, and to bring them back into the fold, and to rejoice over them coming back into the fold and having things right again. Wow, what an amazing, amazing Savior. And look at the wisdom that he gives us. Oh, just so profound. Three wise things in just one sentence. He's amazing. Let's review them together. The next time we're offended, what are we going to do? Number one, we're not going to blab it to others. We're going to go to our brother alone. Number two, we're going to pursue reconciliation, right? We're not going to say, "Well, I've got to. We got to. apologize to me." No, 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 no. Jesus says, "Go, go, Reffinad. Go, go. Don't wait. Go, go to your brother and go to him alone uh, and pursue reconciliation. And when we do confront, make sure we confront with right motives uh, of restoring and building and lifting up. And tremendous wisdom there from Jesus in that one verse." What do we do then, moving on, what do we do then when we go to a Christian, when we go to a brother, when we go to a sister, and we try to bring this reconciliation, but they refuse? And uh, they won't hear it. They won't have any of it. And they continue the offense. What what do do we do? Well, Jesus gives instruction on that. Uh, Let's look again. uh, Verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. That's the goal. Verse 16. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more. One or two more what? One or two more that you've gossiped to and you've got on your side? No, 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 we haven't done that. We haven't done that. One or two more wise, spiritually mature, biblically literate, sound discernment brothers or sisters, take them with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Hey, instead of continuing and going head to head, when you have an opposing view and you're just not making any headway, instead, take a wise brother brother or two with you, take a wise sister or two with you, and go to the person and still the same goal of bringing reconciliation, right? And uh, an objective third party, a good sounding board. And when we do that, by the way, uh, you you want to go with the process, once again, not of being right. Because when you bring a third party in, guess what might happen? You might realize it's not at all as you thought it was. And don't just bring in a yes man with you to tell you what you want to hear. Bring in someone actually wise who can bring truth into the, into the uh, equation. Uh, verse 17 and if he refuses to hear them tell it to the church Uh, tell it to the church Uh, what does that mean he's not talking about tell it to everybody in the church what is he talking about tell it to who Tell it to the elders of the pastors of the church. Tell it to the leadership of the church. Jesus is moving in now to an area of church discipline and I'm not going to camp out here a long time as I would if I was in a pastor's meeting or a pastor's conference or if I was uh, you know, teaching in, 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 in that setting or in a leadership meeting or something. Uh, we'd go deeper, but for the whole church, uh, we need to know this, that, that uh, uh, Jesus does set up church discipline here. And look what he says. Tell it to the church leadership and this is a process this is not an event this is not like well i brought two friends and they didn't do it so now but no no this is continuing to work over time you know over a long period of time but if he refuses to hear even the church leadership there's no repentance there's a hard heart there and the church leadership sits with them says hey listen uh uh you're cheating on your wife, and, and this isn't okay. And this is, and there's no repentance, there's no change, there's no turning. Uh, uh, there's just a hard heart. He says, "Let him be to, excuse me, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector." Interesting. What does he mean by that? Let him be to you like a heathen or a tax collector. What does that mean? Uh, uh, <coughs> Does God hate tax collectors? No. As a matter of fact, the guy writing the book that we're reading, Matthew, what was his occupation? Tax collector, who turned into a son, a wayward sheep, who he, Jesus went and got and brought. So he's not against tax collectors. Here's what he's saying: a heathen and a tax collector is is just a, uh, a way in that day of teaching them as one who is outside of the family of God, outside of the church. And Jesus is saying, if they will not repent, let him be outside of the church. Hey, Jesus loves forgiveness. It flows freely from his throne. But know this, Jesus does not forgive unrepentant, willful sinners. Jesus does not forgive those who do not come to him as Lord of their life. And if they will not submit to the Lordship, to the authority of Jesus Christ, he is the King of kings, he is the Lord of lords. Lordship simply means he's your boss. And if you will not submit to him as your boss, then you do not have what? His forgiveness. And he says, cast him out of the church. Why? So that he might know, he might not be self-deceived, thinking he has God's forgiveness when he doesn't. In the book of Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 5, uh, it deals with this. There was a, a member of the church who was sleeping with his stepmom. And he was flaunting it. He wasn't repentant. And the church members weren't doing anything about it. And Paul said, kick this one out of the church that in the end, he might ultimately be saved, that he might realize uh, his religion is is futile, uh, he's not saved at all, and by kicking him out of the church, he'll know that, that he might be saved. And so, it's so important, the church must take sin seriously. This is not a country club. Hey, we have amazing fellowship, we're gonna go play pickleball, we have barbecues, we have fun together, but this is not a social club This is the family of God. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And he wants us to take sin seriously and unrepentant Christians who are willfully practicing sin must be sought out, must be confronted, and must be removed if they will not repent. And I tell you, as we look at the world today, and as we look what is going on in the name of so-called church, as we look at the unspeakable scandals that have tarnished the church, uh, I tell you, it reflects the total failure of believers to confront sinning leaders, sinning leaders, and and sinning followers. And isn't this a sad indictment? That the world has often had to expose what the church has tried to cover up. And we talked about that last week. And I gave some illustrations. I'm not going to do it again. It was painful. But uh, the world has often had to expose what what the church has tried to cover up. And Jesus says, don't do it. Don't do it. He says, this is how I want it handled. And he lays out church discipline there. Uh, We have all seen the devastating effects of a parent who refuses to discipline their children. Who just won't give firm boundaries for their children to walk in. Who won't tell them no and give them firm boundaries to walk in. We've seen what happens, right? The children grow up to be miserable, irresponsible, plagued with bad behavior. They come to your house and they eat a chocolate cupcake and they eat it all over. And it's on the walls and it's on the couch and it's on everything, right? It's because they don't have proper boundaries and as a result... They're not enjoyed, and they're they're not uh, a blessing to be with. And because of that, the children are plagued with bad behaviors. And I'm not talking about parenting. So it is in churches. Does that make sense? Uh, Contrary to popular opinion, it is not love... But indifference that causes a parent to abdicate the responsibility of disciplining their children. And so it is with churches. I have a quote from John MacArthur I want to read to you. MacArthur says, It is an illusion to think that the church can take take a strong verbal stand against sin without enforcing that stand among its own believers. And so all of that to say, here's what Jesus is teaching, pursue reconciliation, but it doesn't mean that we just go, everything's fine, we just forgive everything. No, 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 there's a responsibility and there's a wisdom in how we do it. And there has to be some, uh, some checks and balances in place. And here's what he says, he's, he's telling us, uh, hey, we are our brother's keeper. We're our brother's keeper. And if you see your brother causing an offense, you need to go to him. And you need to bring it to the light. You need to work at reconciliation. Why? Here's why. Because it's a tough world out there. Amen? I mean, it's a tough world. It is full of sin at every corner. And there is a million ways where we can stumble and fall. And we need each other to help each other and to hold each other accountable and to hold each other up. And I so love watching that happen in the church body. I love watching the young men of this church who have set up their own accountability partners because temptation is everywhere. You can't go to Starbucks without getting bombarded by Satan and spandex, right? I mean, it's just everywhere, (laughs) right? And it doesn't matter if you turn on the TV or you go online or whatever, it's just everywhere. And I love how the young men, and not just young men, how the men of this church have set up brothers to hold them accountable that they talk to you and they say hey how are you doing today I'm doing good man I'm living victoriously in Jesus Christ how are you doing oh I'm not doing so good I was at Starbucks or <laughs> I was online or I was whatever and you say hey let me pray for you and we don't come together to condemn no 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 to restore It's not big brother watching. No, no, no. It's big brother holding up. It's amazing. It's called fellowship. Oh, how I love the young women of this church that get together and hold each other accountable and said, hey, that post on social media, a little seductive. I know those get more hits, but don't do it. That's not your identity. That's not your worth. Holding each other up. And Jesus says, uh, the Bible says all Scripture repeats over and over, we are our brother's keeper, uh, and we need to hold each other up that way. Uh, another great memory verse, if you're so inclined, Galatians six one talks about it really clear on the subject. Uh, let me hear you read this. Uh, a thundering voice again. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, a trespass means a sin, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of justice gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. We can act like we have it all together or we can be honest with each other and allow each other to help each other. Uh, Forgiveness will flow freely and we'll always do it to the point of, of restoring and edification. And man, it's a great thing to have in our life total grace in the church of jesus christ uh we are not to be sin sniffers we're not to be legalists. uh we know for sure what the bible says the bible says that all have sinned and fallen what short of the glory of god by the way the greek the uh, the the context of that the greek all are falling short of the glory of god right now present tense All of us have sinned and are presently falling short of the glory of God would be the literal translation of it. And so therefore, nothing but grace, nothing but mercy, nothing but forgiveness that flows freely from the throne and flows freely to each other, all to restore each other and to hold each other up and to make it through this sin-filled world abiding in Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of his name. Amen? And that's his desire. And Jesus gives incredible responsibility and authority to the church. Take a look at verse 18. Look what he says. He says, I say to you that whatever you bind on earth will also be what? Bound in heaven. What is he talking about? Well, the prosperity teachers love to use this verse and just misuse it to... to, to a disgusting way that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So bind your bills in the name of Jesus and bind your you know, just just please. Bind your gluttony to the name of Jesus, right? No, 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 no. You're a fool, you don't even know what you're talking about. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, Listen, I give you total authority. And if you go through this process, if you really try to restore a brother, and if that doesn't work, and you bring some friends along who really care about you guys, and and you bring them into the situation, and they're wise, and they're knowledgeable, and they still doesn't repent. And then you come to the pastors of the church, and now over a long period of time, counseling, you say, hey, look, man, you can't be cheating on your wife. Here's what Jesus says. He says, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Now what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What's he saying? Oh, he's giving us the authority of his kingdom. And I am so thankful that he does. Here's why. Because someone might come to me and they might say, oh man, uh, Pastor David, I'm, I've sinned. I've blown it. My life's a mess. I think I'm in trouble. I think I'm going to hell. I mean, I've done this and this and this and this. And, and I have the authority to say, hey, if you ask Jesus to forgive you, Your sins are forgiven. You're washed white as snow. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is given to you as a free gift. And you are adopted into the family of God. And Jesus said, what you bind on earth, we bound in heaven. What you loosed on earth, we loosed in heaven. You have my word on it, Jesus says. The kingdom is yours. Oh, the glorious liberty of the children of God. And look what he says. That's the context. Assuredly I say to you that what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and what you loose on earth or what you forgive on earth will be forgiven in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the Greek, I am already there in the midst of them. Again. We see how that verse is misused. But we see the real context. Speaking of the authority. And the, the glory of. Uh, the, uh, that Jesus has given to us. As brothers and sisters in the church. Just amazing. And so now he comes back to our subject of forgiving. Peter has been tracking with Jesus the whole time. Because uh, look what. Uh, uh, look what. Look uh, what. Peter says here, verse 21, Then Peter came to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall I forgive my, sin, forgive my brother who sins against me? How many times do I have to forgive him? Up to seven times? Here's what's happening. Peter is thinking about what Jesus is teaching. Peter is realizing that Jesus is talking about the unbridled forgiveness that God gives to us. And now the unbridled forgiveness that he wants us to emulate just like him towards others. And Peter's thinking, kind of like C.S. Lewis is thinking, Wow, this might be kind of hard. I got some people to go forgive right now. And, Lord, how many times do I have to do this? And Peter, thinking that he's going to be really generous, he wants to do it, none. I know I should do it, maybe one. And I'm going to multiply that a little bit. I'm going to say seven. And I'm pretty sure, here's what Jesus is going to say to me. Well done, Peter. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you. You're amazing. And Peter's ready for the big stroke right here, right? And look what Jesus says, verse 22. And Jesus said to him, I don't say, say to you up to seven times, but I say to you up to 70 times seven. Wow. What's that? 70 times seven? How many is that? 490. What's Jesus saying? Quit counting, Peter. Quit counting. I don't want measured forgiveness coming out of you. I want unbridled forgiveness coming out of you. I don't want you keeping a record of wrongs. Because I keep no record of wrongs. Oh that verse I quoted at the beginning of the service. If he would number our transgressions. We would not be able to stand. The good news. If we're in Christ. Guess what? He doesn't number our transgressions. Nor does he recount all the times he forgives us. He takes our sins as far away as the east is from the west. In other words, he lets it go completely. And he says, Peter, I want you to be like that. I want you to be like that. And Peter's realizing, man, that's going to be kind of hard. That's going to be kind of hard. I want to give you, as we close and we prepare our hearts for communion, I want to give you... Five steps that, uh, that I want to give you, and then one step from Jesus, which is the granddaddy of all steps. Five, uh, five steps from me, one granddaddy from Jesus, that will make forgiving others easier. You might want to write them down. You might not need to. There might be only one that you want to write down, one that really hits you. But forgiveness is not always easy if we're honest. And here's a few things that we can take, a few things that we can hold, a few ideologies that we can embrace that will make forgiving much, much easier. And so here they are. Number one, assume that there is a good heart in your offender. Just assume that there's a good heart in your offender when they wrong you. Uh, We have a value at the church. We talk about it in our leaders' meetings. And that value is that there's no black hearts. No black hearts. You know what that means? It means that when someone does something that hurts our feelings, let's not go, oh, they meant to do that. I know they did that on purpose. I bet they did that just to mess with me. I'll show them mess with me. I'll show them. Ho, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. Why don't you look at it a little differently? Why don't you assume that they have no black heart towards you, that they have a good heart, and uh, maybe they just made it messed up. Maybe it was just a clumsy comment. Maybe it was just a selfish moment. Maybe it was just a, a foolish mistake. Let's just assume the best in it. Number two, talk yourself out of being offended. It's called prayer. Lord, would you help me not be offended in this? Would you help me, Lord, to just let it go? It's just not that big a deal. I, it really bugged me, Lord, but would you help me to just to just, see, just walk in their shoes and kind of just see where they were coming from? Jesus said it this way, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not even take time to ponder or consider what? The honking telephone pole in your eye, <laughs> and if you did, you might think, you know what? It's just not that big a deal. And how many offenses could just just go away without even having to be discussed because it's just really not that big a deal. Number three, this is a big one. If you're able to embrace it, don't tie your identity to the wound. you understand what i mean by that don't tie your identity to the wound well they did this because they think this of me and i can't believe they think that of me and you know what i can't this is this isn't here's what happens when our identity is too closely tied to our opinions we see this in the political world don't we when our identity is too closely tied to our opinions. When someone disagrees with us, we feel like we have personally been rejected. The offense is tied too closely to our identity. That's a mistake. And when that happens, it of course hurts and hurts badly, but let me tell you something, it is highly inaccurate. It's not wise. You're not seeing clearly. I did this this week or or last week. I had something happen, and I was just looking at it the wrong way. And I went to my friend Don. I said, Don, hey, I got this thing, man. It's bugging me. It's really bugging me. And he's like, okay, you know, I kind of see your point, but i don't think that that's what they meant i don't think and what was happening what i realized was wow my identity was tied to the wound and that was a huge mistake and as soon as i realized it, i was like oh Vey, what am i doing and it made the offense seem about this big and i was turning mohills in the mountains and i had to repent i had to change Uh, number four, uh, accept imperfection. Um, we're flawed creatures, aren't we? Uh, it's good to just allow people to be flawed. Uh, to just go, hey, no big deal, you know. Uh, yeah, that was a mean thing to say, but I get it. I've done it. There's a a proverb, I wish I could remember the, the reference for it, but it says, uh, do not, stru- do not uh, overly worry when uh, you hear someone talking bad about you, for you yourself know that you have done the same. How many of us have talked behind someone's back? How many of, of us have spoke derogatorily of someone else? And, uh, uh, hey, just accept that we're imperfect. Not that big a deal. Allow people to be human and flawed. Uh, number five, love uh, Love mercy. Love mercy. Value the privilege when someone wrongs you. Value the privilege of having the opportunity to be merciful. Being merciful is one of the most powerful tools you can ever have. But you can't have it until someone wrongs you. And when they wrong you, value the opportunity to be merciful. Uh, The book of Micah, Micah 6, 8, a verse we all know, right? He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Or in other words, he's shown you what God wants. What does he want? To love mercy. No, to, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. Three things. To do justly, just do the right thing. And to love mercy. What does that mean? Just love showing mercy. Uh, when, when you're with a merciful person, oh, they're just amazing to be with. Just amazing to be with. Uh, love mercy. Love showing it. Uh, and walk humbly with your God. Uh, you know what my flesh does? My flesh loves to prove that I was right. And to prove that I was right, I have to find fault in someone else. And it feels good for the moment, but only to me, not to the person I'm doing it to. And after I've done it, it doesn't even feel good to me. But you know what's amazing? When you love mercy, do you know what happens? It feels good to the person who receives it, and when you're done doing it, it feels really good to you, too. It's kind of like working out. It's hard to do for the moment, but as soon as you're finished, you're like, yeah, that was amazing. I think I'm getting stronger, right? I mean, it's just a good feeling that you have. And so love mercy. Uh, loving mercy is just a, a great attribute to, to, to carry. And, and now for the last one, the one that really matters. When it's hard to forgive, consider how much Jesus has forgiven you. And that's how, that's where he takes Peter. Uh, let's, uh, look at this. I'm going to ask Kyle and the team to come up and we'll, we'll uh, go through this super fast. Look at this parable. Again, a parable is a earthly story that shows heavenly truths, that shows deeper significance. Look what he says. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom that we're living in right now is like a certain king, that would be Jesus, who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. What's that? Yeah, a king wants to write all the offenses with his servants. That's what this king wants to do. Who's the king, by the way? Jesus, Jesus. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Everybody say 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents we have no idea it's hard for us to grasp just what Jesus was saying in that one talent a talent wasn't a, 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 a like a, a currency a talent wasn't a bill a talent was a measure of weight a talent weighed 75 pounds one talent was equal to 20 years wages one talent 20 years wages how much does this guy owe a thousand talents—that means billions and billions of dollars. Okay, that was the imagery Jesus used. He says, uh, "And when he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents, or billions of dollars." But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. Uh, He says, yeah, liquidate his house, liquidate all his property, liquidate all his assets and sell him and his family into debtor's prison and just, you know, uh, bring in the proceeds. Verse 26. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with, say it with me, moved with compassion. This is Jesus. Moved with compassion. And he released him. And he forgave him the debt. Imagine Billions of dollars forgiven, your mortgage forgiven, all of your debt forgiven. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii was still a lot of money. That was about five months worth of, of wages, nothing in comparison. And he laid hands on him, and look at this, underline this. And he took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him with the exact same words that he had just begged. He said, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not. And he threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved. And they came and they told their master all that had been done. And then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant I forgave you all that billions dollars of debt because you begged me I want you to underline the word begged me right there it's actually a bad translation the King James Version translated it because you desired me to no other reason because you asked in other words I freely forgave you this is who Jesus is All you have to do is just say, will you forgive me? And he'll say, you bet. You bet. Verse 33. Should you not also had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry, and he delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father will also do to each of you if from his heart he does not forgive his brother for his trespasses. What's that? What's he teaching? Here's what he's saying. All the forgiveness you ever need will flow freely from my throne. But the mark of you being a son is that you embrace that forgiveness and you show that same forgiveness to others something amazing happens when we understand the grace of God and how freely it flows it makes the offense of others just seem like not that big a deal and instead of judging everybody we're able to and using that opportunity to elevate ourselves above them we're able to come to them and say hey you know what I've done far worse I've done far worse no sweat you're forgiven and when that happens, we become builders of men and women. And our kingdom begins to increase as we, as we walk in the kingdom of God. And more is given. And uh, you just become a builder of men, a builder of women. This is his calling on our life. This is who we are as the sons and daughters. And if you want to know how much you've been forgiven, well, the elements we're about to receive are going to show us. And they're going to show us the high price that Jesus had to pay to purchase our forgiveness. Sometimes it causes the death of our flesh to offer someone forgiveness. But it's a small price to pay in compared to what Jesus has paid for us. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.